Welcome to this episode of Music Matters with Daryl Craig Harris and Music Tribes Unite News. Talking about all things music with celebrities, artists, music business insiders and more. Mr. Will Wood, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How about you? I am doing good. So um, you're actually in, I guess, sort of Pennsylvania, that area, um, really cool place. And uh, your publicist contacted me and, and I was checking out your music and it's really awesome stuff. It's a Thank lot you. of influences, a lot of, there's a lot going on there, which is awesome. So you're very well known, obviously on Spotify and you have a, uh, a tour that's almost sold out coming up. You have a lot going on. Tell me about what's happening for you these days and, and with all this happening at the same time. Well, it's it's quite a lot. It's a hell of a workload, I'll tell you that. It's uh, it's really getting on top of me, I got to say, because uh, I've decided to take on all of like the biggest challenges of my career at once, which I'm not sure why I chose to do that. I guess because I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to do and say a lot at once and in order to accomplish that, I have to do and say a lot at once. And the tour is almost sold out, uh, which is unbelievable because the last time I was on tour, it was me emailing coffee shops around the Northeast area and kind of begging them. Right, right. exactly. uh, Please let me show up and play some songs and then driving around from place to place playing for zero to 12 people every night and lugging around my own merch and all that stuff. The pandemic hit and then everything changed in like the middle of that. So, you know, it, it's funny, you you describe me as being very well known. And I, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't consider myself that. But at the same time, with how these uh, shows have been going, especially uh, I had my first couple dates for the In Case I Die tour this past weekend. Um, I'm, I, I certainly have become more well-known than I thought I ever would be or ever even really intended to get, I think most likely, you know, there certainly were times in my career earlier on where I think I thought I wanted notoriety, but for the most part, all I ever really wanted was to just make like a basic living doing something I was good at and enjoyed doing. And now here I am, there's hundreds of thousands of people paying attention to me at once. And I said this the other night to the audience, I I don't like being in a room where 400 people all have an opinion of me. And, you know, (laughs) um, even if, even if it's positive, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And uh, I'm also working on this new record. And, and I guess the reason why I feel an urge to do so much at once is because this record i think is kind of it's it's kind of like the theme of this record is sort of i guess getting things off my chest giving my audience and whoever else chooses to listen uh any newcomers or whatever a little peek inside my head and in my private life which i don't really talk about publicly ever and kind of express myself with a level of honesty and authenticity that i haven't really been able to in the past And so if it's about getting things off my chest, I'm sort of doing the PR equivalent of venting right now. This is uh, essentially me rambling and shouting and raving and trying to get all this stuff out there. So, So 
yeah, I'm taking on a lot of challenges at once and hopefully that it'll uh, pay off, you know, not just in terms of my career, but uh, in terms of my artistic fulfillment as well. Right. Yeah, and it's a challenge, you know, because like you say, like you're an artist and at the same time, you want people to hear what you're doing, but that's also has its own challenges. Sure. And you've, your Spotify is like crazy. It's blown up hugely. One of the songs has almost 25 million um, streams. Tell me about the Spotify ride. Like, how did that start for you? And has that been really the biggest part of your career that's helped launch everything? Uh, no, I think the the numbers on Spotify are... are I, I can't say that I ever made a particularly concerted effort to pitch Spotify particularly, although I guess because Spotify is my preferred listening platform, I tend to just think of things in terms of Spotify numbers. So maybe just by virtue of thinking about things in that way, I just happened to target Spotify coincidentally. Um, it certainly has been shocking to see those numbers go up like the way they did because it happened quite quickly. Uh, and, and it didn't happen because of a concerted effort on my part, I have to say. Don't get me wrong, I did make an effort to push those numbers and try and get more people listening. But the massive uptick in listeners on Spotify and other streaming platforms is not due to anything that I did in particular. I just happened to put out a certain type of song at a certain time in our cultural discourse or what have you that happened to kind of resonate with with people and it it just went viral on TikTok kind of and and so the numbers just kind of exploded from there and i think a big part of it was the fact that a lot of people uh had a lot of very strong and differing opinions about that song in particular uh, about what it was about and what you're supposed to think of it as being or meaning and right. so I, I i me myself right yeah uh and yeah. there was a lot of like identity politics type discourse going around uh because of it and the algorithms love that uh can, can i curse on here is this a clean podcast curse away okay <laughs> <laughs> the fucking data companies goddamn love that shit they will eat know, it yeah. up. The algorithms are all tuned specifically to do nothing but piss you off. And, you know, they collect insane amounts of incredibly complicated private information on you and then use that data to design a custom tailored feed of lies for you to get you as angry and confused and wrong as possible. I turn the fire hose on you. <laughs> right, exactly. And so as a result of it, people are fighting tooth and nail, clawing and scratching at one another over just some dumb pseudo doo-wop song I wrote about gender. And <laughs> next thing you know, people are killing each other over it. And because of it, the Spotify numbers soar. Um, right. Ultimately, I think that's what made it so popular. Sure, I think it did genuinely resonate with a large group of people. And I I'm very glad that I was able to create something that did inspire or comfort or even just entertain people. But ultimately, I think the thing that got those numbers where they are right now it ain't new. It's just it's just the right. same thing as always. It's just Elvis gyrating his hips. Only me. It's me <laughs> saying gender. You know. I mean, you've got a lot going on, and the music's great. And and Thank I want to actually ask you too, because I was checking out all your stuff, and it's so interesting. And how do you classify your music? Like, what style would you say? And there's so many influences in there. A lot of people ask me that, and I never really know exactly how to answer it. I kind of just write what feels right for the song. I mess around with genre sometimes more as a tool for the writing than as 
you know, just my style, so to speak. And I, I think that I'll often pastiche sort of genres or I'll use elements of genres that I feel call certain feelings to mind in order to accentuate something I'm trying to do in the lyrics or in the song otherwise. So for instance, the song we were just talking about, I think having it be kind of this pastiche of 60s bubblegum pop doo-wop sort of sounds really kind of jammed my tongue further into my cheek in a way um, so that when you're listening to that, it's it's a juxtaposing, you know, you've got this sound that at least has some of its roots in very traditionalist post-war Americana, but then you put it up against these lyrics that are sort of iconoclastic in a way, and it creates a, a unique feel because of it. And it only works because I think the song really only works because of the way in which I borrowed from that 50s, 60s writing style. It's kind of timeless in a way. But there's a lot of joy in the music. It's like really fun listening to. And I know that you're you're covering some heavy subjects too, but it's still the energy is, is really positive. Well, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd say it's hard for me to classify any of my stuff by genre or anything. I think just because I don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't think of my stuff that way. You know, I, I don't ever set out to write a certain sort of genre. I mean, I guess sometimes I do. Sometimes it happens by accident. Sometimes I go, oh, I'd love to emulate these sounds that I heard in these songs or by this artist. And um, But ultimately, I like to let the songs stand on their own. And maybe if you zoom out and take a look at the big picture, you as a listener could come to a conclusion as to what to call my stuff. But I personally just, I just, I just write songs, you know? To me, like that's the best way. Like let the songs dictate and let the other let the people figure out what they think. Like don't if you try to force feed them, that's when it becomes inauthentic, right? Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh I, I think some uh modern artists from uh that era said something along the lines of don't worry about whether or not your art is bad. They'll decide for you. Just keep creating. Yeah, because otherwise it gets into your head that kind of messes up your whole your whole thing, right? Speaking of influences, who who would you count as some of your your biggest influences musically or, or just in life? Um because from song to song, I think it varies quite a bit, you know. Lately I've been listening to a lot of more like chamber pop oriented stuff, a lot of the more uh bombastic efforts by singer-songwriters. And a lot of more experimental. Uh, I, 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 I've been basically listening to just a ton of Andrew Bird and Father John Misty over the past couple years, and have gotten really into that sort of range of sounds. Something that has its roots in traditional singer-songwriter music and in indie folk or indie rock and folk, but does extrapolate on that and kind of experiment from there. Have always been really into more experimental artists. You know, I still think that ultimately my biggest influences as a songwriter are, I think, surprisingly middle of the road, at least in terms of how a lot of people would perceive the artists in question. I, I think that a lot of my instincts as a, as a songwriter come from come from the Beatles, come from Billy Joel and come from Green Day and like other yeah, you know, cool. musicians hey. that a, a lot of people would, would rarely think of as being particularly experimental artists. And I think maybe that's what allows my stuff to kind of stick out a bit is that I've pursued, you know, I, I've, I've found influence in experimental acts like 
you know, some of the weirder side of the late Pink Floyd stuff and some of the, some Mr. Bungle, some Residents, some Primus and all, all the, all the wacky yeah. stuff from the nineties while simultaneously kind of having my roots in more traditional singer songwriter sounds. Yeah. And you, you know what, you hear that all the groups you just mentioned and which are all great groups. And, and actually many of them were experimental when they first came out, especially like, especially Primus and, and Billy Joel is just a classic, like that's the classic song. <laughs> yeah. you know you don't get any better than that and and it yeah that that music kind of cross crosses a lot of genres too which is which is awesome tell me about social media and your your feeling on that and and your approach and uh so i avoid it like the plague because i think that it's because uh, i think it's pure evil it's um it's horrible for everyone's mental health and i am certainly no exception i think that it's uh, dangerous, and I don't want anything to do with the prevailing cultural norms of social media culture, which we've now confused with real culture, and it's simply not. You go on Twitter and you hear what people have to say, you're never going to find those people in real life, and there's a few reasons why. And that is that, are you kidding me? The stuff people say on Twitter, nobody's going to fucking say that to your face in the real world. And right, I, exactly. I, think if you, <laughs> I think if you held their feet to the fire on a lot of the opinions that people sh uh, share on Twitter, they would eventually go in real time, looking you in the eye, would face go, face, yeah, right. okay, yeah, I probably was wrong to say those things. I guess I'm probably getting a little too excited. And the reason why is because these platforms, which we've, we've all kind of accepted as being the democratization of media, are absolutely not that. And, and it's disturbing to see, especially people like more towards the left, like myself, seem to be really, really into the idea of, of social media as the democratization of media and as the voice of the previously right. unheard masses, when in reality, these are just corporate owned media outlets that are using your content to further their interests. Your free content that they're making money off of. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and yeah. they have, and, and the technology is incredibly complicated. And if you think that there aren't hordes of scientists, the finest scientific minds of our generation piled up in Facebook headquarters, basement laboratories, trying to figure out the ways to best and most effectively manipulate you and use you for their ends. You're out of your mind. You don't have you. Don't, you haven't got the slightest fucking idea how capitalism works, and it's, so it's especially frustrating. And I would add, and I would add, psychologists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's particularly frustrating to see people who are like more towards the left, like myself, praising uh, social media and acting like this is all like some incredible marvel uh, of social progress, and that the, the these are appropriate platforms for real, nuanced, important conversations. Because it's like, you guys are supposed to be the ones who are critical of corporate influence on culture. How are you not seeing this shit? They control exactly. what you see. <laughs> People have this yep. idea, this idea, and, and, it, and it's implicit in the language, that when you post something, it's being put up on a wall somewhere. It's a post. And then your friends will walk by it and see it. That's not what it is. You submit your content to the machine, and the machine decides based on its information that it has on potential viewers of this content, who will this piss off the most? Who will this confuse the most? Who will this affect yep. emotionally the most? I mean, Mark Zuckerberg has come out and admitted it. Yes, we ran emotional experiments on our users and we discovered we can we can fucking control their minds. We can decide what kinds of things they post. If we show somebody more depressing stuff, we're going to get more depressing stuff out of them. If we show, this has been proven scientifically, the stuff that makes you mad 
spreads faster. And so everything you see on Twitter, on TikTok, especially it's that's one of the worst ones, if not the worst one on Instagram. These are the the reason these are spreading are not because they're true. It's not because there's any bearing in reality on any of the shit you see on there, whether it's coming from a an influencer or a, a media outlet or whatever, or a human, these ideas are spreading because they make people people miserable, because they're controversial and because they're fucking wrong. And so right. it's it's and so I stay away from that stuff because I know that in addition to just I would be awash in a sea of bad ideas and awful uneducated, miserable, warped, self-parodying ideological positions, I would be, in addition to all that, be mired in these outlets' efforts to destabilize me emotionally and make me more likely to buy shit from the outlets that advertise on them. I can't handle that. I don't want to be exposed to the kinds of media that so thoroughly destroy people's body image. I don't want to be exposed to the infographics that have all the, oh, here are 10 facts about mental health that you need to know right now. And every single one of them is made up bullshit and yet people share it like it's reality. Next thing you know, people are just like rattling off this neo-pop psychology that has no bearing on reality whatsoever and act like it's the gods, it's, it's, it's God's own truth. I can't be exposed to that. I can't be exposed to any of that shit. It's horrible for my already very unstable and fragile mental state. And even if it weren't, I also, I don't want to be on Twitter. What kind of artist in his right mind is going on Twitter right now? It's the worst place to be a a, a, a person, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know what? I, and I feel you on that. And I, I always think about like young kids and stuff and like that. Some, there's a lot of people that are fragile in the world and they don't need, all they need is a little push to go oh, over and, yeah. and like you don't want to you don't want to feed that beast really i mean there's there's necessary evils to what we do but sure. you got to do it responsibly and, and care about people right yeah yeah <laughs> uh, listen i still have a guy who posts on social media for me it's a necessary evil unfortunately but it is an evil and it's one that i'm not letting touch in me touch me personally because i'm just not right. wired for it maybe some people are but ultimately i don't think anybody really is nobody's designed to have that many eyes on them at once and then to have to constantly uh curating this avatar of yourself that isn't actually you and yet you have to be responsible for nobody's yeah, it's properly not, it's not real yeah right and <laughs> and nobody's properly you know no matter how educated you are on the harmful effects of social media and no matter how many times you tell yourself i am not immune to propaganda i am not immune to propaganda you're still going to absorb this stuff through osmosis and find yourself believing things just because you read them despite like this weird thing happened over the past few years where people went from going don't believe everything you see on the internet to believing everything they see on the internet it's crazy but I see it anytime I go on the internet. It's like, do people, did people forget that it's easier to lie on the internet than anywhere else? Yeah. And, what you, like you said, you know, what you wouldn't say to somebody's face in person, you shouldn't say. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's so easy. It's so easy to hide behind that veil of anonymity, even though you're not really anonymous because people will find out. <laughs> yeah. And you were, you were talking about how there are people who are, you know, fragile and I think vulnerable to these very concerted efforts by these data companies. I agree, like children especially, they're in danger right now. I mean, I was in enough danger on the pre-social media internet growing up. Nowadays, 
These systems are designed to manipulate your neurochemistry. That is the only thing they are designed to do. Nothing else. They serve no other purpose and they try to accomplish nothing else. And so right. allowing your child to have an Instagram account, it's not like setting them in front of the TV. You know, that's bad enough to let your kid just watch TV all day, every day and be like, there, that's my electronic babysitter. Go watch whatever. That's bad enough. But forget that. At this point, we are well past that. I'd rather hit my kids than let them have Instagram at this point. Because this thing, it's not just showing you potentially harmful messaging at that age. It's showing them potentially harmful messaging custom tailored based on their behavior to best take advantage of their vulnerabilities and to best control their neurochemistry. And that's a growing brain that is freshly making the emotional connections inside the psyche that it will carry with it through the rest of its life. Yeah, and it's struggling put, with body image, struggling with your mind and how you're going to approach the world. And worse, and worse, I think it affects us ethically and morally as well. I, I'm, I'm terribly concerned for young people right now, for kids right now, growing up on social media in the midst of a pandemic, where you can't ever have this incredibly important, these core formative experiences of looking your peers in the eye while you go through your adolescence and developing right. that those social skills, that empathy and all that stuff. They're going to have a lot of their work cut out for them in the decades of therapy, I'm sure, await them after the, you know, it's, yeah, the body image stuff is one thing, the phony political stuff, the the attempts to hijack uh, one's ability to critically think, the emotional destabilization, there's no way that having your emotions systematically destabilized for the sake of taking advantage of your fragile state all day, every day, throughout your most formative years, isn't going to give you a personality disorder later in life, you know? Right. I totally agree. We were talking about this a little bit before we, we started recording about um, artists, creatives, you know, kind of covers children and that kind of stuff too. But artists and creatives that have trouble issues with, with substances, issues with dealing with life. It seems to go hand in hand. We all know the stories of, of painters, famous musicians that had their struggles. What? Give me some thoughts on that. Because I, I know you've, you've been public about, about that with yourself. And, and I think you have a lot to offer on that, you know, on that subject. Well, I think... Um... It's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I mean, I think about it all the time, but I know that when you go into a community of artists, uh, I, I found this to be especially true of singer songwriters and comedians. I think it's probably true of visual artists and all, all kinds of artists, but you know, my personal experience is talking to those particular types of artists. And that is that a lot of people are afraid to get help for their mental health issues, are, are afraid to get better because we see the connection between our instability and our creativity. And from what I understand, the science is out. There is a correlation, not necessarily, necessarily causation, but correlation between mental health disorders and creativity. And yeah. we see that and we go, well, I'm not going to start zombifying myself with these meds or getting some guy to shrink my head because then I'll lose my edge, I'll lose my creativity. And I struggled with that for a long time. But something that I realized recently is that there's a very dark implication there. If, if you choose to forego getting help that you need in order to stay safe and sane, 
for the sake of your creativity, what you're implying or what you're showing or proving is that you value your creativity more than you value yourself. You don't see your worth outside of that. I started medication and therapy a few years ago for what has been clinically identified as bipolar disorder, but you know, these are just words in books. Uh, you know, there's no bipolar germ that they were able to take a blood sample and find. You'll find that anytime I talk about it, I never say that I have bipolar disorder. I say I've been diagnosed with it because I think that it's important to make that distinction. But I started getting help for it a few years ago, and I have found that my medication has slowed me down. It it dulls my, my ability to think. It, it dulls me cognitively. It blunts some of my creative urges. I certainly don't enter those hypomanic states anymore. And and I think a lot of people are, are you know, I don't want to tell people that because I'm afraid that it'll discourage people. With that, dealing with it, right? Yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is that, um, yeah, I, I think that there was a more consistently high energy creative output when I was less stable in a sense that it used to be that somebody would say something even slightly unsettling to me, it would hit some very specific point in my psyche. And then the next thing you know, I'm falling apart. I'm hunched over a piano like Dracula or whatever, what movie that is where the guy's playing the organ. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Just, I'm picturing Dracula, but I don't think it's Dracula. Is that Phantom of the Opera? Is, yeah, but whatever. you're having these really, really, yeah, really strong emotional highs, right. lows. Right. Yeah. I, and I, you know, I would enter these really intense emotional states where if it was really negative, I'd find myself screaming and hollering and smashing my piano with clawed hands or something kind of nice would happen. And, you know, the next thing you know, I'm in a manic state writing from that perspective. And a lot of people have this idea that good art only comes from pain or good art only comes from soaring highs and crashing lows and that good art can come from those places. And I still do experience high highs and low lows, even with my medication and the help that I've gotten. But it used to be that, and I don't want to discourage people from getting help by saying to them, yeah, it does make you less creative, because it sounds like I'm saying it makes you less inspired. And to a certain extent, inspiration doesn't feel like the mystery it used to feel like to me. It didn't doesn't feel as much like the hand of God touching me and going like, create now. It's not as grandiose as it used to be, but that doesn't mean that I have less creativity because here's the kicker. You know what's even worse for you than uh, for, for your creative process and ability to create being kind of foggy from your mood stabilizer? Uh, killing yourself. It's really, it's That's hard exactly to stay right. creative. Yeah, it's hard to stay creative when when you sit down at the piano and feel like you're going to die. It's It's like, ultimately, does it make certain parts of me do I lose my hypomania? Yeah, it's been a long time since I was hypomanic. And so my creative instincts have changed quite a bit, but what I've gained is now an ability to sit with those feelings and examine them and tolerate living with them well enough where I can actually learn about them a bit and make some changes within myself and use the creative process as part of my personal growth and development as a human being as well. Therefore, creativity has become a more sort of intellectualized, and careful craft than this, these, these explosions of emotion. And that doesn't mean that when it comes time to perform, I can't explode with emotion as well. So the creative process has changed a lot for me, but I haven't lost that creativity. It's just different. And so the good news is that 
not only do you not really lose that creativity, but that wasn't something you should have been worried about in the first place. Because your creativity is not more important than your safety. It's not more important than your well-being overall. I would rather lose the last bit of talent that I have and never write another song as long as I live if it meant that I could stay sane and healthy. And and maybe it's something to do with the way our, our, our society is set up. Maybe it's a capitalism thing. Who knows? Or maybe it's just a, 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 a cultural thing. I, I don't know. But there's no denying the link between emotional instability and creativity. Having those outlets, too, has actually saved a lot of folks, being able to get that out, get that emotion out. But it's a bit of a negotiation. Like you said, if you, can't, you have to be at a certain place healthy to be able to function, to be able to get through life and not go nuts, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you're unstable, good luck having a music career. The fact that I made it as far into my career without getting help as I did, it's just pure luck. And to be honest, I would be nowhere near where I am right now if I hadn't first cleaned myself up, uh, gotten off the booze, and then gotten into therapy and started medication and actually done some hard work on the destructive thought paradigms within myself. And creativity is an, an incredibly useful outlet for people, whether they're suffering from a, a mental health disorder or just the symptoms of being a human being. I could talk all day about what the difference between those two things are. It's not easy living in the, life, the, the day that we live in with all the pressures yeah. and trying to have a career. It's not easy. And then that, that's the thing, but you did the work. And I think that that's awesome. And you know, you're influential to people because a lot of people look up to what you do. So it's important for you to state that the, what you just said. I think it's super important. Well, thank you very much. I, I, uh, I, I, I hope that uh, I can have a positive influence on people. Uh, somebody once told me that I was, I was good mental illness rep. That I was a, a and and I was like, fucking what, you know? Because like I I I would love to be a positive influence, but oh boy, if you're looking for positive representative representation for the mentally ill, I got some bad news for you, buddy. It's not good to be mentally ill. It's not a positive thing. It's it's not it's not cute. It's not romanticizable. Not the real shit. It is good to talk about it because I agree. It often it often gets swept under the rug because it's a taboo subject. I'm like, no, man. You know what? It's good to talk about. It. It's good to say, hey, there is hope. There is a pathway to feel yeah. better and to get to a better place. That's super important. Yeah, I think that we as a culture, however, do need to do some work on how we're uh, having these discussions about mental illness because. I sometimes think that I hear people talk about the movement to stop the stigma, remove the stigma from mental illness. And I got to say, a lot of the times I feel like, where is this movement? Because I see people say it all day, but outside of like pharmaceutical companies astroturfing the NAMI to start selling more, you know, uh, antidepressants to people who don't need them. And then people just diagnosing themselves with some mystery illness that some scientists still think isn't even a real thing so that they could be cool on TikTok. Aside from that stuff, I still see our culture still fucking hates crazy people. Like ultimately, when it comes down to it, we still hate crazy people. I, I think I, I feel it's because they see those same people that that hate that or whatever because they see that in themselves and it scares the shit out of them. I think they go, oh, I, that yeah. could be me. <laughs> or I that think could be my so. uncle, or that could be my dad, right? Yeah, I mean, 
we all want to be able to seem nice and clean and pretty and perfect online um, and in in day-to-day life as well. And you can't have a culture that is vindictive and lacking in compassion or forgiveness for people who behave in ways that are socially unacceptable or who make serious mistakes in a, in a, in when, when unstable and a culture that removes the stigma from severe psychiatric illness. And it's just, it's not possible. It can't be done. Right. Yeah, and, and so and it's just, and trying to sanitize everything is, and it's just not, it's not healthy for anybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it shuts down conversation, which is a bad thing. Right? Yeah. And, and it's also just the type of mental illness that we do talk about, that we are willing to talk about are the ones that anyone can diagnose themselves with. Or if you go to a psychiatrist, half the time you are going to walk out of there with a, with a prescription, whether or not you actually do have a clinical disorder, because these are the ones that everyone can relate to, admit to relating to. We can all admit to having felt depressed. We can all admit to having felt anxious because these disorders like generalized anxiety disorder or major, major depressive disorder are essentially just uh, excessively severe versions of normal human emotions that take it to a clinical level. But because the nature of suffering is to be intolerable, it's why we evolved to go ow when the stove is hot to touch, we're all going to think, well, I'm unhappy. This is probably a disease. And we're all going to be able to self 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 diagnose self diagnose it's <laughs> so dangerous right and, and and there is of course a good side to this we should be able to talk about these things we should be able to talk about some of the things that we've grown to be able to talk about here like being able to talk about suicide and self harm and eating disorders and body image issues and depression and anxiety that's super important and that's progress and so I don't want to come across as, as saying, this is all bullshit. This is all the pharmaceutical companies in a conspiracy to keep Americans docile, although a little bit of me does think that. Um, there, and there know, probably is a little bit of that. But, there's yeah. probably a little bit of that. I, I also think it's very easy to remove the stigma from illnesses that are relatable because they don't involve behavioral or experiential patterns that significantly differ from the norm but good luck getting anybody to want to talk about removing the stigma from psychotic disorders, from personality disorders. I mean, God forbid, paraphilias, just all these things that go beyond the pale of what people are willing to talk about. Because ultimately, we can pat each other on the back and jerk each other off about stopping the stigma till we're blue in the face. But ultimately, we cross the street when we see the homeless guy babbling at the sky. And ultimately, we don't like that guy. Ultimately, when somebody acts out of line, and which is almost by definition what a mental illness is, experiences and behaviors that are outside of what is normal, what we consider normal and i right. get to like i i always totally feel like people do that shit because they look at that guy and you think that could be me and it scares the crap out of them i think you, know? you may be <laughs> right like, yeah, yeah. And i think you know but because we all have that potential we all have the, but I, I would also say that it's the weirdos in our world that have made the big discoveries einstein all the people that we know they all had issues they all had disorders this and that but their their but their creativity was like off the charts that they they have moved us forward as as a race as a society so we have to find a way to embrace that understand it treat it when it needs to be treated and then and then find a better place right 
I agree wholeheartedly. And it goes back to what you were saying about the link between, you know, mental illness and creativity, that there is one, you know, the truth of the matter is that mental illness, at least to a certain extent, is a social construct. Uh, these are ideas based on what is the norm? What are the boundaries of human behavior and experience that are considered acceptable? Because you can't cut open somebody's brain and test for bipolar disorder. You can't find the borderline personality disorder uh, germ in there. There's no blood test for schizophrenia. I mean, schizophrenia is one of those things where there are illnesses where the talk of subjectivity is just like pointless because come on, there gets to be a certain point where there's no denying there's something medically wrong with this person. We don't know what right. it is. And how um, can you get them to life where they don't harm themselves or harm other people? Is yeah. Kind of should be the, really should be the goal, not necessarily medicating the world because you just can't do that. And it's not right to do that. But yeah. some people, some people, you know, you don't, you don't want them hurting themselves or hurting other folks. And, and that's super important. And I think um, it's those people that we have the least the least compassion and forgiveness for right now when those are the people who need it the most. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to um, move on just because we're going to wrap up in a minute, but I want sure. to um, ask you your advice for um, young artists and musicians. And I know that's a big question. What's the, some of the stuff really, really important stuff that you've learned along the way? Um, geez. I, uh, I find it hard I know, it's these a, it's days. It's a big question, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's a question I get a lot, though, where people will say, like, hey, what kind of advice would you give to an aspiring artist? And and it's hard for me to answer that honestly while still being positive because I'm at a point in my career and in my life where I can't in good conscience recommend that anybody pursue it as a full-time job. I can't in good conscience say to you, don't give up, follow your dreams, become a professional artist, because it's, it's just now more than ever, it's not, it's not a very safe line of work. And so to aspiring artists, I say, uh, don't fucking do it, man. Turn back now before it's too late. Keep it as a hobby, for God's sake. Listen to your parents, man. What but I also thinking? know, <laughs> right. But I also know that if you're an artist, forget about it. You know, nothing's going to stop you uh, for a lot of artists. Anyway, I know that no advice in the world, no matter how sound or responsible or smart it was, would have ever deterred me from the path that I'm on. It just it wouldn't have happened. Now that I'm here, now that I have accomplished the goal, and I am a professional artist, I can tell you, it ain't here. Happiness is not going to be found in a round of applause or in a cool core progression, or in TikTok followers, a big Patreon paycheck. It's just not going to be found there. Sure, financial stability, maybe, but not even really that. I mean, nothing is more of a fickle career choice than the arts, especially when all it takes these days is for you to say the wrong thing on the wrong platform at the wrong time, and you're fucking done for, man. And fandom culture has gotten so vile over the past couple of years now that everybody's been stuck indoors with their own thoughts and the, the AI is designed to make them angry and wrong about everything. It's like there's a lot of reasons why I have to say to people, don't fucking do it. But if you're an artist, there's a very good chance I'm not going to be able to stop you. So if you are going to do it, um, and that's kind of the only way they should do it if nobody can dissuade you. I've often yeah. said that. I'm like, if nobody can talk you out of it, that's probably the only time you should actually try. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, you know, because you're going to you're going to come up against a big old freaking huge brick wall. <laughs> I think maybe yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the advice to give. And that is that uh, if you're going to pursue a career in the arts, make sure that it's because nothing will dissuade you from doing it. 
Yeah, I think that's probably actually, you know what? Thank you. I think we came up for with the advice that I would give together. And that is if you're thinking about about pursuing a career in the arts, make sure that it's because nothing will ever dissuade you from doing so. And if you think there's a chance that you could be talked out of it, let yourself be talked out of it. (laughs) I think too. Yeah. And I think it's it's important what you said too, that now that on now that you're on the other side of things that you, you have a different perspective and you realize that that's not going to make you a happy person. That's no. not going to solve all your problems. It's just one piece of the puzzle. So you job. need to fix yourself. Yeah, you need to fix yourself first and thinking like, because you get famous, don't think that's going to solve it. It's actually going to make problems more oh. intense. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Look, if you can make a career in the arts in a way that doesn't put you in the spotlight, fight tooth and nail for that because there's nothing really I'd rather do. But if you find yourself headed for the spotlight, I would just say I can't in good conscience recommend pursuing any kind of career that puts you in the spotlight because it's a nightmare. It, there's, it, it's not good. Or it's, it just it's not. And I think a lot of people think that attention or notoriety or fame or whatever will bring them happiness when in reality, I have found that it brings a lot more trouble than it's worth. Because what do you even have to gain out of that? If, if, if it's a living, it's a living. But you can make a living doing a lot of things that aren't quite as dangerous, that don't or stressful, right? Right, that that don't put you on this constant tightrope uh, walk, that don't have you getting sent threatening collages in the mail, or don't have people stalking you, or don't have the risk of being harassed on mass because you said the wrong thing ten years ago. It's like if you can pursue a career in the arts that doesn't have you uh, in the position that I find myself in go for it believe in yourself 1000 percent. fight for that there is nothing more rewarding in the world don't get famous don't go for that i have experienced the slightest little you know example of what it might be like to be genuinely famous and i can tell you that if this much sucks this much uh, forget about it man it's terrifying (laughs) yeah i i I saw will smith slap chris rock and i was just like yeah i get it man this shit drives you crazy you know it's like and it's it's for real like the pressure is real and i always view it as like be thankful be appreciative but understand like that's not who you are that's just a part of who you are right yeah if you allow your identity to get wrapped up in your public persona and your public image you're gonna have a bad time and the problem with being an artist is that it almost requires you to do that sometimes. And so uh, I think it's really a matter of making sure that you don't convince yourself that you're only going to be happy if you have a career in the spotlight. You know, making sure that you haven't convinced yourself that that's going to be what makes you happy or you haven't convinced yourself that that's, that's who you are and what you're supposed to do. Because if you allow yourself to get to a point where your emotional well-being hinges on your success as an artist, it's oof. yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot, and I, I think, um, I, man, I think it's it's great that you're willing to talk about stuff about all this stuff because it's stuff that a lot of folks don't want to talk about. Um, the mental health, uh, what it's like to become starting to become famous, and what that struggle is because there's a lot there. It's a lot to unpack. And um, is there anything you want to say to your fans, the people that really love your music and, and, and love what you do? Uh, yeah. As much as I want to be honest about what it's like to be at the center of a strange, enormous parasocial relationship, as much as I want to be honest about the really dark elements of that and how painful it can be, 
I never want to give my fans the impression that I don't appreciate the support that they give or give them the impression that I don't like them. I I, I started to get a feeling recently and I, I know I'm not on social media, so I don't know exactly what people say. And on the rare occasion, I let my ego take over and uh, and Google something. I try to reel myself in pretty quick. Um, I've gotten the impression that I think a lot of my fans think think I'm one of those artists who doesn't like his fans. I want to make sure that that's not what people think because it's not true. Really, 99.99999% of Will Wood fans I've actually met have been abnormally kind people, have been really nice people. It's fandom culture that's a nightmare. And it's, you know, the vocal minority of the online fandom that acts like a bunch of psychopaths that bother me. But of course they bother me. That doesn't mean that I... I, As it it should. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Makes sense. I don't want to be like excessively negative. I just want to be honest. To say something to my listeners, uh, thanks for listening. And um, uh, I, I really hope that what I do has brought you some joy or comfort or inspiration in whatever it is that you needed awesome yeah yeah man that that's you know what that's real and, and it's, i think it's uh it's appreciated i, I want to thank you so much for your time and your thank you sincerity, your sincerity and openness i know this is not your comfort zone <laughs> and i i very much appreciate the fact that you're willing to to do this and and, and be super honest and super um you know bear your soul like this so it's it's really important and i appreciate it I really appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, I've had a really good time. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, it's been great talking to you. I hope to get a chance to do so again sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully I'll get a chance to see you um, out on the road. And when when does your tour actually start? It starts on the 20th in Pittsburgh. Um, Then we got a few stops on the way out west to Minneapolis. Then then we're going all the way down to Texas and then all the way over to Florida and then all the way back up. So it's going to be quite a trek. So yeah, hopefully I'll get a chance to look out at the audience and see out there. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to get you to Las Vegas. <laughs> right on, man. Yeah. I'd love we'll, to. We'll work, we'll work on that. <laughs> you sure you don't want to meet me in Orlando, man? Uh, you know what? Actually, I love Orlando. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about the. Well, I, I shouldn't say all about the Disney world, but I, I like Orlando. <laughs> cool. I'll see you in Orlando then. I'll, right, I'll put cool. you on it's the guest good. list in Orlando. <laughs> okay. You do that. I'll, I'll make sure it happens. Hey man, right. thank you so much. Have an awesome day. Yeah. You too, Daryl. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on our social media channels for upcoming guest announcements. And keep up with the latest at musictribesunite.news.